goes back to uh, when I was about nine years old. I tell people, I recall very much, uh, it happened many times when I was a child, but uh, this one night, I can still picture it in my mind that uh, my dad come home early, and uh, you know what I mean? I remember I lived in a small farm out in the, the woods in Pennsylvania, and, uh, you know, seeing my dad come home early, at, and he worked second shift, and the lights of the truck never came home that early at night. And, I, you know, I was in bed when he got home every night. But this night he come home, and I remember him getting out of the truck and coming in the house and saying to my mom, says, uh, I got laid off again. Hmm. Um, and that's one of my earliest memories uh, to, that sticks in my mind. There's tons of memories that you have as a kid, but that one sticks in my mind that one night. Mm -hmm. I remember it like it was yesterday, and it changed my life because there was something in me that night that checked out and said, this system doesn't work. Mm. My life from that point on changed, and I can, I, you know, when I look back over my life over the years, I can pull it back to that point and where it changed. Mm hmm from there, from about nine years old to about 11 years of age, uh, you know, two to three years period time in my life, um, uh, you know, I was a D and F student in school. Hmm. They tried, my parents tried several different education types, and uh, we, we had, we, I was, you know, raised in a Christian school, and uh, I was just D and F student. I just would, could not pass. Um, I barely got through. I remember my sixth grade teacher spent so much time with me trying to get me to pass mm -hmm. sixth grade to move on. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was something in me that, that, that just kind of checked out. Mm. Uh, and, and it was all the way through till about, I think I was about seventh or eighth grade, that, um, that my parents took me to have me tested and they took me to this, this uh, college that was in our, our home area. And the testing come back with, you know what I mean, Tim's just not that bright of a student. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you the exact words, but I can tell you the sum up of what they told my parents in front of me. Hmm. They said, you know, when Tim, Tim is old enough, Tim should just get a job that's a trade and, and, and be happy with what life gives him. Oh, boy. I couldn't have been 11 or 12 years old at the time that happened. And at 11 or 12 years old, I tell people in my speeches, I speak to kids and I speak to colleges and and entrepreneurs all over this country, I said, no 11-year-old should be told that. I agree with you. <laughs> boy. I says, I don't care if that boy is a special education student. I don't care if he's got mental uh, issues. I don't care what that boy has. He should be told at 11 years of age that he can be president if he wants to. Hmm. We, we need to build dreams up in our kids, and mine was torn down at 11 years of age. Hmm. Hello and welcome to The Journey, your radio show. Hosted by Neville D'Angelo, author of A Soundbite Life and Flight of the Fused Monkeys, a PRG Emerging Technologies Forum keynote speaker and founder of Rio Sports. I am Joseph Ellison. Enjoy! I am Neville. My guest is Tim Gillette, businessman, author, a public speaker who has traveled the length and breadth of the United States sharing his rock and roll keys to business success. Here he is continuing his story on this another episode of our series, The Business of Doing Business. Tim? I never made the honor roll in all of my years in school until my second uh, quarter in my senior year of high school. And that was because I finally, and I, it clicks in my mind to go, that was finally my, I could see the out, that I'm going to be out of this education thing and I can get on with the life because this education thing is not doing squat for Tim. Mm -hmm. And that's where it was like the first time I got that on a roll or, or made it. I graduated in 1984 from Southern High School in Southern Pennsylvania. I also went to a Votech school and had learned mechanical drafting and, uh, you know, kind of got out and got, went, that was told, okay, it's time to get a job and get out in the real world. Mm -hmm. And remember, this is the Tim who's checked out of this real world. It doesn't work. So I decided to give it a try, like they said. I worked several jobs from 1984 until 1992. And I worked in several different industries. I worked a, a, in uh, the engineering department for a, uh, with my mechanical drafting school. I was an engineering department for an injection molding plant. They made a lot of internal car parts. They designed them and molded them in our factory in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I went from there. The next job I worked was I worked in the engineering and small parts division of the coffee packaging company. If you remember the 1980s, the Folgers Brick Pack coffee. There mm-hmm. was a vacuum-packed coffee. Mm-hmm. I worked for the company that brought that technology to America. Yeah. And that was a, you know, it was a great company. I, I will not put that company down because it was a great company. However, there, it just wasn't a fit. And it was after a year and a half of working there that just they came into my office one day and, and said, I'm sorry, this just isn't working out for us. And they let me go. Hmm. So I had a childhood dream where I always liked cars. So I figured, well, I'm going to go try the car industry. So I went to work in the auto industry. I worked for uh, you know worked for car dealers, um, auto body shops, uh, car lots, car washes, everything like that. Um, and I did that until the early '90s, where I decided to go drive truck for a while. And driving truck uh, in the early '90s, um, I was on a loading dock and got hit in the head in 1992. Wow! And I ended up with a seizure disorder, a form of epilepsy. And for that, they took away my truck driving license. Oh, boy. So, I mean, yeah, life just keeps getting better and better, as you can see here, you know. <laughs> I, I shouldn't be laughing, but, but wow. Um, it's, it's, you know what I mean? And, and in life, so many people come to me and said, man, I wish I had your life. Well, this was my life. Mm. When you got to realize is when you look at my life now, this is the journey it took to get here. Mm. There was a lot of down times in my life. And that was in 1992. I had to basically, I went back to the car industry. And at that point in time with a epileptic seizure, you know, and the fact that it happened on the job, even the companies I had worked for didn't want to hire me hmm. because they're afraid we're going to put somebody in our auto shop who's got had a head injury. That's not a good combination. So I got it. I mean, it was kind of another sting in the, in the factor. And uh, during that time of trying to find a job, uh, my wife at the time was washed, or cleaning people's houses, so I started going, reaching out to her customers, offering to clean cars. Mm-hmm. So I ended up starting a mobile car wash business in about 1994. I started it for the first time, and uh, well, I would go sometimes house to house, knocking on doors, cleaning cars for people. Uh, I met a gentleman in the late '94. Uh, who had bought, him and his wife had just bought a new uh, car, and they asked me to come down and clean it for them once a month. So I got a regular customer, mm-hmm. and from there, they had a plumbing business, and they would actually go out uh, about once, they were growing so fast, once a year, they were buy, adding a new truck to the fleet and adding a whole new crew to their business. Mm-hmm. So then they decided, well, you clean our personal vehicle, you should clean our work truck so our work trucks are taken care of. So I had a contract, and when I left that business in 1998 to leave Pennsylvania, I was still cleaning their trucks, and they had 11 in the fleet, mm-hmm. and I had 11 monthly trucks. So I mean, it was a a nice paycheck every month to clean their trucks on a regular basis. But I was still a one man shop. Mm-hmm. I had an auto body shop, and uh, you know I'd grown it into. Uh, and in 1998, it all fell down when my wife said, "That's it. I'm out of here. I'm I'm sick of living this life," and she left and ran off with the neighbor. Hmm. Well, I didn't expect that. <laughs> it keeps getting better, man. So um, at the time, I was, you know, I was reaching out to investors to grow my business, and I was talking with investors on the West Coast, um, and they said, you should come out here and see what we're doing in the car wash industry in California. Mm-hmm. So I went out to visit a, a car wash association thing in the late 90s and came back and uh, one of the people I met there, I just started building a relationship with him. Well, in late 98, when I was selling my business, he called me up and he said, hey, I got a job for you in Santa Rosa, California, if you're interested. So I said, okay, fine. It ain't working out here. My life's falling apart. Why not? I packed the car up and I said, I'm on my way. Hmm. I came to Dallas, Texas in 1998 at Christmas time. I figured I'd stop here and visit my brother mm-hmm. who lived here at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I never left. I stayed here. What got never you made it to California. What got you to stay here? Well, I, I, my, I had a brother here, and uh, you know what I mean? I had a lot of different industries I could play with. Um, he introduced me to a, still a close friend of mine to this day uh, here in the, in the sound industry, Pat Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I did some work in the sound industry. I ran a tractor-trailer repair shop here for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It just seemed to be an open place for me. I kind of liked it. Okay. And it was different than Pennsylvania, so I stayed. And 
I guess because I had some roots in the fact that I had a brother here, I guess it kept me here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got here in 98 and worked here. I worked different jobs until 2000 and it was December 2001 was my last epileptic seizure I had. I had it at the uh, I had a truck repair shop that I worked at. I had a seizure on the job and I was running the place and really you're not allowed to run a tractor trailer repair shop if you can't have a tractor trailer license. Hmm. So um, I kind of was demoted from that job immediately because they found out I was kind of hiding my health issues. Hmm. You said it was the last uh, seizure. When we're back, I'm going to find out what made that the last one. What was the final change? We'll be right back. Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky questions. And we play a few games and track the remarkable characters of three classic books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Well, I'm back with Tim. Tim, could you continue your story? You bet, man. I mean, when we were going to break there, we were talking about the, uh, you know, the seizure. And, and you know, uh, I, this was something I, I got in 1992. It came into my life, not something that I was, you know, I don't think I was born with it. But they say, I, you know, it's it's a part of it. But from 92 to 2001, it was a tough battle for me to figure this out. You know what I mean? I uh, And in 2001, um, and that would have been, you know, right around the time we had 9-11. I, I was at a point in my life that I hated the job I had. I hated where I was at. And it's still that little boy inside of me that wanted to get out of this system that I didn't believe worked anyway. Mm-hmm. And I really fought against it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was drinking heavily and um, uh, partying quite a bit. I tell people I made quite a bit of money and I'd get my check on Friday and I would blow probably three quarters of it at the bar that weekend, mm-hmm. which was really not good. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, in 2001, when I had that seizure, it was a wake-up call because my boss, because I ran the company, had to fly in from out of state to be there uh, because there was no one there to open the doors on the company and, and such. Mm. So he had to come into town. It kind of ruined his world a little bit. Mm. Um, he made a statement to me. He said, you're going to get your health right if I have to call your doctor to do it. And it was the next day I was leaving to go on a vacation to go hang out with some family on the East Coast. And I was gone for two weeks. And I came back after Christmas that year. It would have been into 2002. Mm-hmm. And that's when I walked into his office the first day. And I said to him after I come back from vacation, I said, hey, I appreciate this opportunity, but I hate this job. I've got to find a way to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And my boss said to me, he said, I know. I know you hate it here. He says, if you help me get so-and-so, it was another guy we had that kind of primed and ready to train to run the, the company. You help me get him ready. He says, I'll give you a reference anytime you need it. He says, uh, you know what I mean? I'll be behind you or support you in any way you need possible to help you find any other job or get out into the world to do something else. Mm-hmm. He says, if you want to work here part-time until, you know what I mean, until you find something else, I understand. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, his name's Dan. He's a great friend of mine here in the Dallas area. And uh, he since has sold that business and he's off and gone from it. Um, you know, but he, he's been a great resource to my life since then because he actually confronted me and said, Tim, you need to get your health right. Hmm. Um, I stopped drinking, uh, not totally. I still drink, but I had to learn to monitor my drinking. I had to learn to balance my life. Um, I had to learn to, uh, find things that, that, that bring me pleasure in life and not, you know what I mean? Just work for the money. And that was a big problem. And in 2002, um, I, I, you know, while trying to figure this out, I worked, went to work for my friend Pat Johnson for a while in his sound company. And then uh, after he got it off the ground, I left the company and went off and said, okay, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to start another car wash business. Uh, a friend of mine introduced me to, to, that I, my brother introduced me to, said, Tim, you know, this car wash, this mobile thing you did in Pennsylvania, you'd probably work out good here in Dallas. You ought to try it. Mm-hmm. So uh, in 2002, I thought that's a great idea. And uh, I started going to church with this guy, and uh, it was through that, him, this guy taking me to his church, that we're walking out of church one day, and he goes, Tim, I want to introduce you to somebody that's pretty important. 
And I turn back around to see who he's going to introduce me to. And as I'm turning around, he goes, Tim Gillette, I'd like you to meet Zig Ziglar. <laughs> Just look at that. <laughs> and I got one, oh, hi, you know, when I shake his hand, you know. Um, now, for most people, they know the name Zig Ziglar. I mean, come on, it's legendary in the speaker industry. Mm. I knew who Zig Ziglar was. I knew his name. I knew he was an author. I knew he was a speaker. But at that point in time, when I was shaking his hand, I had never heard him speak. I had never listened to any of his tapes, and I had never read any of his books. Mm -hmm. I just knew who he was. Mm -hmm. Kind of like most of us know, you know, Bill Clinton or Al Gore because they were president and vice president, you know, or mm -hmm. we know George Bush or Dick Cheney because they were president and vice president. Mm -hmm. We know them, but we never personally got to hear, uh, you know, a lot of things from them, you know. Mm -hmm. I had never even heard him speak on a tape. Mm -hmm. I knew who he was, though. Mm-hmm. Um, that started a relationship with me and Zig. That I won't say that, you know, hey, we were best buds and we hung out all the time. But we were people who talked every now and then. And when we had those conversations, some of them heartfelt conversations were some of the most impactful in my life. Mm -hmm. From 2002 to 2004, I had many of them with him. And uh, in 2004, I built my car wash business here in the Dallas area to where rather than going house to house getting cars... I went to office building after office building, and I had contracts with the buildings that I was the only person allowed to wash cars on the property. Mm -hmm. I built a huge, um, a huge business, and I was making, uh, you know, several times I made six figures in one month washing cars. Wow. And I remember buying my first Porsche. I bought a Porsche C4S, you know, and it was one of those fancy that had four-wheel drive and four-wheel steering and a sports car and I thought wow I'm all set in life mm -hmm. I really wasn't a Porsche guy I just that was all my friends had one I thought I had to get one too <laughs> and I pulled up to Starbucks to, like I didn't own this thing three days I pull up to Starbucks and I'm about to walk in and a customer of mine pulls up next to me and says oh man whose car are you driving Tim oh boy and I said it's mine what do you think <laughs> To which that customer said to me, I'm paying you too much effing money to wash my car. Wow. And that made me think a little bit about success. Mm. Really made me think about success at that point in time and what other people thought success was. Mm. Um, and again, I was in an industry that I really didn't want to be in anyway. I was washing cars at that point. It turned into a system. I didn't love cars anymore. I, I hated the fact that, you know what I mean, I, it was a nonstop chasing of money and at this point I was chasing laws uh, you know what I mean because they they regulated in Plano and North Dallas they started to regulate the way guys wash trucks out on the street hmm. uh, and it really had to be a headache I'd been in the car wash industry on and off since 1996 and I uh, had my own companies and I, uh, a gentleman came to me in August of 2004 who had something going on at the airport similar and he offered to buy it from me hmm. and um uh, I said, okay, I'll sell it to you. And then I wrote a do not compete clause in the sale. Now, I was on a radio station with a lawyer out in Las Vegas last week, and he went, what? You put in your own do not compete clause? And I'm like, yeah. I wanted out of it, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't getting back into it. And he went, that's different. Never heard that. Very different. All right. Yeah. But through that, I sat down with Zig Ziglar, and I said, Zig, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I know I'm out of an industry now for good. I wrote myself out, <laughs> and uh, Zig put the put the first inclinations into my mind. He said, "Tim, you'd be a good speaker. You'd be a good coach." Mm. And I, uh, yeah, okay, Zig, you know, if you say so. And I believed him so much, I went to work for Starbucks for five years. <laughs> I was a barista at Starbucks for five years. Now, when I had my car wash business, I was a professional-looking young gentleman. Uh, you know, well, I was always well clean shaven. Uh, I had neat short hair. Mm. All right. And for your listeners, if you get to show them a picture of me, <laughs> I'm a long haired hippie looking dude now, you know? Mm. Well, working for Starbucks for five years, I didn't have to keep well groomed. You know what I mean? You think of your barista. He's not exactly looking like he's the CEO of your company, okay? Mm. And now it's not a bad thing. Mm. It's just they're free and they express themselves sometimes in the and the, you know the tattoos and things they wear the, the things they do the clothes that's that's how they express themselves mm -hmm. they're like artists mm -hmm. and I 
That's how I became. In 2009, I run back into Zig Ziglar, and I've got long hair. I'm wearing ratty jeans, a T-shirt, and a, a biker's vest because I had been into motorcycles, which I'll get into that in a second. But I run into to Zig, and I said, I'm going to do that speaking thing, Zig. And, he, and I said, I'm going to go get a haircut and buy a suit. And he said, no, don't. I said, Tim, there's something original about you that you need to spread into the speaker industry that's needed. So I started to think about that and think about how I got into that field. People ask me today how I'm where I'm at today now a lot. Those five years at Starbucks had an awful lot to do with my personal growth and my business growth. Hmm. I learned things at Starbucks as well as implemented uh, strategies at Starbucks for training baristas. That just because my business mind was always thinking of ways to make it better. And uh, in 2005, while I was struggling, because after selling my business in 2004, I took a sales job that didn't work, and I went through all of my money in less than nine months. Hmm. And I was homeless. Uh, my apartment had burned. I had lost my car. No job, no car. In one week's time, my girlfriend dumped me. My apartment burned. I lost my car and my job. Wow. In one week. Hmm. And uh, it became a devastating time because I had to find a place to crash. And I started staying on friends' couches. My friend Brian, who's been on my radio show, is one of my first guests on my radio show when I started it. I crashed on Brian's couch for almost a year. Hmm. All I did was, I mean, I, would, I had a, a couple of things next to his couch that I would neatly put away every night. And I worked at Starbucks. Another friend of mine who I'd helped out... Um, he won this little 250cc motorcycle in a raffle. And it was he was a big guy, and it was just too small for him. And he said, Tim, it's, it's too small for me. At least it'll help you get to work. So he gave it to me. Hmm. And I ended up driving that bike for two years, and then I sold it and bought a bigger one. I bought a chopper, which put me in touch with a lot more people in the bike industry and uh, got to learn a lot, awful lot about motorcycles and riding and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I joined a Christian motorcycle uh, uh, ministry that's worldwide with, through one of their Dallas chapters. Mm -hmm. And uh, got to serve with them. Well, I went on a motorcycle ride because one of my friends from that church where I met Zig, um, she was part of a huge motorcycle uh, magazine. And she was doing a ride that went, uh, she started out first year in one city. The second year, she did it in five cities at the same time. Mm -hmm. And my friend Faith said, you got a motorcycle, Tim, you're coming on my ride. And to which I said, Faith, I don't ride on group rides. <laughs> I don't do it. Mm -hmm. She said, Tim, when we were, you know, and we all, we had a Bible study group together. She said, when we were in that Bible study, we all prayed and said we'd support each other no matter what our ministry was when it came about. She says, now's your chance to support my ministry by showing up at my bike ride. So she guilted me into it. But <laughs> um, I was, uh, her, bike, her bike ride went on in five cities that day. And uh, that was my first time to get on a bike ride with a group. Mm -hmm. And as I said, this was a chopper that I bought, but it was a wrecked chopper I bought, and I was rebuilding it. Mm -hmm. And I went on that bike ride that day with things not working 100%. And what happened was uh, everybody came to a complete stop, and I didn't know how to stop real quick. And then I had my brakes fail. Oh, boy. So I looked at the group of bikes going, I'm going to hit them. And then I looked to the side. There was a section of road, and I started to go for that so I wouldn't hit the bikes to try to slow down. And then some other bikes went to there, too, to try to not wreck. Mm -hmm. So then I went, I'm going to hit bikes. And then I looked to my right, and there was a huge patch of grass. And I said, if I'm going to crash... That grass looks like softer than the pavement. I'm going for the grass. Hmm. And I, I laid my bike down in the grass that day. It's the first and, and only wreck I've ever had on a bike while riding. Hmm. Um, I've, you know, I've dropped it in a parking lot and things like that. But uh, I, I, I had that wreck that day, and it was a life-changing moment because the guy riding behind, it, behind me uh, connected me to the biker ministry that I was part of for several years, which got me touring around the country doing things with bikers and ministry all over the United States. Hmm. In 2009, um, that chopper that I had was getting a little worn out. I had put about 38 to 40,000 miles on it, and they're kind of rough on an old guy's back, just saying. They're just cool <laughs> and all, but they're rough to ride. Hmm. Um, I met my current wife now, and uh, we. she said to me, why don't you have a touring motorcycle for doing all this? 
And I said, well, probably because I, I don't have the credit to go buy one. I said, I got the way to pay for it. I had income to pay for it, but I didn't have a way to, to actually get the credit to buy it. Hmm. So I would have had to pay cash. So she went in and co-signed for the bike for me. And I got my first Harley-Davidson, brand new, off the floor, a touring motorcycle that I could get out on the highway and ride. Hmm. We'll be right back on this howling Harley-Davidson ride with my guest, Tim Gillette, businessman, author, public speaker, and radio host. You are on the journey. This is another of our episodes of The Business of Doing Business. You can follow the series by going to thejourney.riosports.com. That is the journey, one word, dot riosports, that's R-Y-O-S-P-O-R-T-S dot com. Thejourney.riosports.com and click on business. Here are a few questions to consider. Are you considering business or in business? Do you have something of shareable or exchangeable value? Do you have a solution the market wants or needs? You might want to look around your circle and see who are around you. Who are your influencers, your supporters, your encouragers? your discouragers. The next step is definitely up to you. Let's return to our guest, Tim. Hey, man. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, boy, it's been a fun radio show. I'm telling you an awful lot of stuff in one show, huh? All right. <laughs> And you're making my job very easy, as I've told you before, because I'm li just listening and gobbling this up. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, Neville, you know, it's it's really interesting. Before I get to back story, is is mm. you know, when you get on the air and tell your story to people, mm. it's it's always a delight, and no one ever realizes it. And I really appreciate what you're doing. Is is stories is what helps people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Not, I mean, and not to get too preachy at this point, but mm -hmm. stories is what helps people. Right. I could give you all the points on here to go out and be successful, which I do in my seminars and my boot camp, mm -hmm. all right? But without me telling the story and you hearing what I went through to learn this, mm -hmm. they mean, they're meaningless, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and, and no matter who the person is, if you're not hearing their story, and ladies and gentlemen, that's you listeners, the stories. Find somebody whose story you relate to. That's why Neville's got all these people on here with stories is because he wants you to find one that you relate to that helps you become successful. That's absolutely right. Yep. You know, and all these people I've mentioned along the way, you know what I mean? Connecting with them and their story is what made me find my success story. So, uh, but anyway, before we went to the break there, hmm. I was talking about the, you know, the motorcycle, you know what I mean? I did get 2009, I got my first touring motorcycle. And uh, a couple of things that have happened in the in a, you know, 2000 range was, I told that my dad that you know I was going to do that speaking thing Zig told me about. Mm -hmm. I told him I was going to write a book. And in 2009, when I bought that motorcycle, the first person I called that day to say, hey, I bought my brand new bike was my dad. Mm -hmm. My dad had a thing for boats, so he understood toys. Mm -hmm. My toys was bikes, his was boats. So, <laughs> it was, you know, but he got that. Mm -hmm. My dad understood toys, so I always called dad when I got something like that and I explained that time with him to to let him know what I was doing well that was I think it was February or, or, or January of 2009 that I bought that in May of 2009 my father calls me uh, and my mom he was having some health problems and he had to have a triple bypass done on his heart and uh, you know most people sitting there go well you know what I mean your, your life's been through hard now don't tell me you'll lose your dad well the day he called, I don't think he realized what he said, but he said to me uh, the night before his operation, he said, I wished I'd have had the chance to see your new bike. Hmm. And I was working at Starbucks at the time, and I remember I called my boss. I was not a store manager. I was just a barista, a shift manager. And I said to my boss, her name was Misha. I said, Misha, I'm gone for two weeks. 
She said, Tim, I can't find anybody to replace you for two weeks. She says, I, you know what I mean? you got to give me more time than that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't have the choice. I've got to be in Pennsylvania with my bike tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So why don't you just fly up there, she said. I said, I can't. My dad doesn't think he's coming out of this operation. I'm going to show him my bike. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. And I hopped on the bike, and that's where it changed my life to become a bike tourer. And I started to get on the road and touring in motorcycles. Since that point in time, I've done over 200,000 miles on motorcycles. Hmm. Um, that trip was the first one I took on that bike that really put me in the motorcycle touring. And uh, it was 2010. I then went to the West Coast on the bike, and I did 8,000 miles throughout the West Coast on that same bike. Went out to California, all the way up to, to Washington, uh, to the corners of Washington, over through Montana and Idaho and Colorado and New Mexico and, uh, you know, all those fun little places, Wyoming, and, and just I, I did over 8,000 miles on on bike tour mm-hmm. over, I think it was four and a half weeks' time I was gone. Now, when you say you're on bike tour, is this speaking or just riding alone? You're riding At that alone. point in time, I had not started my speaking career. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just got on that trip just to, to, to go on a trip. Right. I right. left Starbucks at that point and said, I'm going to go on. A, I was going to start my business at that point. And then we were going to call it Rocker Life Coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I decided I was going on a motorcycle trip first. I had, the, you know, between the cash and the credit, we had the money for us to go do it. I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that trip, uh, one of the people, there's two people I met. One of them actually just, my friend Allison, who, who lives down south, just sent me a message on facebook while we were on the radio here <laughs> i met her on that trip she's a motorcyclist she lived in california at the time mm-hmm. Met her on that trip uh still work with her and help her out on some life stuff and business stuff mm-hmm. another friend of mine i met in montana uh michelle a uh, client of mine i helped her you know after she got through her divorce come up with business plans to you know what i mean she had a great business as well um and deal with life and business at the same time met her on that trip mm-hmm. um Met some people on that trip that actually, uh, they got me my first speaking engagement out of the state of Texas. And that was when I, I, it was less than, I think, six months after coming back from that trip that I hopped on my bike and I rode back out to New Mexico to speak at, in Roswell, New Mexico, an event out there for entrepreneurs and job seekers. Mm. So that trip was a, a huge part of my business. At that time, we started to think about the concept of riding motorcycle to go speak. Now, when you say we, are you meaning yourself and your wife, or did you have myself and my wife? Yes, Correct. everything I do in my business. Mm-hmm. My wife is the she is the the back behind me. She's the person who stands behind me, and my partner, both in life and business. Wonderful. Yes. So we started. The reason I have the business is we started as long with some investors in two thousand and nine. Uh, before I left Starbucks in 2010, we started an, an investment company, and we own real estate in the Dallas area mm. that with real estate rentals. And just um, in the past three months here, we finally paid off. Uh, we bought our investors out, and we paid off all of our loans. Mm. Um, we saved our money. We just basically didn't live on the money for five years and saved and, and, and paid off all of our notes. We own all of our real estate free and clear now. Mm, good. The corporation owns it free and clear. Um and that's another company we have. But she's partnered with me to help create this. Uh, you know what I mean? From my writings, she's done a lot of my first editing rounds on every one of my book, my blog, all that stuff. Wonderful. Uh, I don't make a move without discussing it with her first. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but we decided at that point in time to try to build a speaking career out of this with the bike. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, I was using the concept called Rocker Life Coach, and I was trying to use the rock and roll and um, trying to use that rock and roll music and, and, you know, life and business. And it wasn't until 2012 that, uh, you know, one of the guys I'd been following online had something very similar to me, but he talked about rock star. It was this rock star uh, uh, marketing thing. This guy named Craig Duswald out in California. And... Uh, through messages and stuff we did with uh, Craig, uh, I went out to his boot camp in March of 2012 and changed my life, changed my business because I went out and realized that I needed to be part of some masterminds. Mm-hmm. I joined Craig's mastermind and it would have been September 2012. And that's where we learned that, you know what I mean, some of the stuff that I was teaching that I had to refine it. 
We created what we call the Rock and Roll Keys to Business Success. Mm -hmm. I talk about my love for music and helping people find their passion. Mm -hmm. And then I talk about motorcycles. It's helping people find their system. You know what I mean? I talk about music was my passion. Motorcycles was my vehicle. Uh Up until this year, I did not have a car since 2005. Well, I had a car from 2006 to 2009 that I think I put 3,000 miles on it in all those years. But it wasn't until uh, up until this year that I just got, we got another car. We bought a, a cheap uh, Explorer that was her dad's, mm-hmm. and uh, that's we now have an extra car. But we had motorcycles only. It was our tra- mode of transportation. So <laughs> <laughs> if I wanted to go to the grocery store, I had to go on a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. So, but now we have a car. Um, my, you know, my life just recently has changed to this. Uh, but this rock and roll keys to business success is where I was at. Mm-hmm. And, you know what I mean? I talk about three things in that almost always. It's music, motorcycles, mentorship. Find your passion, what really turns you on and excites you. Get the vehicle or build a system to make it happen. And number three, you've got to help other people along the way. How are people receiving these, these keys so far? Uh, glad you asked that. You know, that's, uh, it became a great thing. Uh, over the past two years, um, and writing my first book came out in um, um, May of 2013, I think, is when I actually got published. My second book's about to come out this uh, September 1st, which is Taking Care of Business. And uh, we've got a third one I'm working on right now. But I also did some some systems, and I mean some home study type courses, and home I call them home action courses. Mm-hmm. The... People, uh, you know, since that first book came out in May of 2013, my and I started doing events in um, 2012 and 2013. We went to two boot camps a year. People have received it very well for the fact that they actually now ask me to speak all over the country. And it seems like two to three times a month I'm gone speaking somewhere in this country at a big event about being an entrepreneur. Right. Now, what's the name of that first book? The name of the first book was called You Can Always Get What You Want. Right. No, and it is on Amazon. Your listeners are more, well to go to, more than welcome to go to Amazon. It's available on there. Um, you know, it's a very interesting place. And then, uh, you know what I mean, they're also available on my website. The second book is, is uh, you know, it was a little more serious because I'm a goofy kind of guy. I like to have fun. So the second one's called Taking Care of Business, and it's about getting serious in business. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the first one, my buddy Craig Duswalt, he did the, the forward to it because he was the guy who motivated me to get it done. The second one here, we've got the forward was written by a guy named Larry Broughton. Larry Broughton has Broughton Advisory and Broughton Hotels out in California, a huge serial entrepreneur. He's on all the MSNBC and all that stuff, uh, quoted as a business person all the time. And Larry's a serious business person. So I wrote the book, and Larry wrote, read through it, and wrote the foreword, and he said, Tim, I like it. He says, a crazy guy like you is teaching people that you can be crazy, but you got to be serious. Right. And you said that's the one that's coming out in September. September, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but people, you know, people have really taken to the idea that, you know, and, and a lot of my, my marketing and a lot of my, my promotions are all based around the fact of, you know what I mean, you've got to enjoy life. You got to be, it really do something. Um, like last night we were talking, my wife and I were talking about millionaires and billionaires I know. And I said, you know, we realize, you know, my message is not about being a millionaire. I don't talk about being wealthy. Hmm. I talk about enjoying what you do. All right. And, you know, I realize you're not going to enjoy every aspect of it. But if entrepreneurs who are successful, mm-hmm. they're the people who got passionate about something, not about making money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I have on my radio show here in the Dallas area, now you probably know him as, as Rick Fairless, who runs Strokers down in Dallas. Yes. Uh, Rick's going to be on my radio show. Ah. He's the type of people I want on my show because, man, he took his, I mean, he left the paint industry and went into motorcycles. <laughs> and he made a passion out of it, and he made a huge empire with it. Right. You know, that's that's entrepreneurs. Now, are the, pe- the people who come to listen to you, are most of them bikers, or do you, are you across the board? It's mostly entrepreneurs who want to have fun. <laughs> for, for sure, you know. Hey, listeners, if you haven't gotten that point yet, uh, you know, you have said it 
many times without having fun, without enjoying totally uh, what you're doing, it's, you're not going to have a good business that's going to be remarkable. Yeah, that's one of those things I teach. You got to enjoy the ride. Yes, I <laughs> love it. Yeah, Z Zig Ziglar once said, and it really got to me when he said it, as he said, you know, someday they're going to put this old body, and I know Zig's passed now. He says, yes. someday they're going to put this old body in a, ca in a casket, and they're going to put it in the ground. And he said, the last thing I want to do is get into that casket all well-preserved and looking good. He says, I want to slide into that sucker sideways going, woohoo, what a ride. <laughs> I love it. Love it. I love know, it. That's what I needed, man, because now, yeah. um, and, and not to be spiritual about this, I mean, but I'm a very spiritual guy. Mm -hmm. It's just this Sunday, I was at my church, and they were singing a song, and they talked about, you know what I mean, when you're... You totally have that faith in God. It removes fear. You know, and it's like he know you. He I forget the name of the song. It's like he knows the future or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that. I was like, you know, I'm so passionate about my future. I know that it's in God's hands. Mm -hmm. So I can get on my bike. And I've lost a few friends who've crashed and died behind me. By the way, mm -hmm. um, I get on my bike with 100% confidence, knowing I'm in God's hands. Mm -hmm. And when my time's done, people are going to say he enjoyed the ride. Wonderful. Wonderful. And that's, that, that's one of the hugest testimonies I can have for my life is I, he enjoyed the ride and he impacted others while he did it. Wonderful. Well, we'll be right back. So what is your story? It's becoming ever more evident in life as well as in business that the story you own, the story you believe, that story is the foundation, the structure, the infrastructure, the scaffolding of everything that is happening around you. You are anchored to that story, your story. I encourage you to read my blog, Nurture, Nature, or a Nightmare. You will find that on thejourney.riosports.com, thejourney.riosports.com. Click on business you are on the journey and it's time for our question of the week in stories there are sentences sentences with subjects and predicates sentences consisted of nouns and verbs our question of the week is this if you are the noun of your present sentence what is your verb? Our question of the week is this. If you are the noun of your present sentence, what is your verb? Well, we're back with Tim. Uh, Tim, if someone came into you with, and you just had a minute to share, um, and they were looking to get on with their life or get into business, what would you tell them? Man, if I had a minute to share with them, boy, really quickly, man, I'd have to get to them. I, I'd want to find out what gets their go. What makes them, what 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 gets them excited to get up in the morning? Mm. And I would tell them to focus on that because there's something about the, the what gets you excited that gets you to actually go out and do something for it. And once you get that into your mind, then you need to actually find a system to monetize it. Hmm. And I know I didn't talk a lot. I told you I don't teach people about wealth, but it's a system to monetize what you do that you love. Mm -hmm. You know, like in the beginning, I loved, I loved cars, mm -hmm. so I washed cars. Mm -hmm. Now I love bikes and I love traveling, so I found a way to use my bike to travel to actually speak to audiences and, uh, and put into that entrepreneur spirit the idea of riding and enjoying the ride. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say right away to anybody, any young man, any, any, any older man, man, you've got to find something. If it's money, if you think it's just money, give up now and get a job. <laughs> 
it ain't gonna work. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's my quick advice. Oh, I, lo I love it, Tim. T Tim, tell the fakes how they could get a hold of you. You bet, man. You know, the easiest way to get a hold of me is my name is Tim, T-I-M, last name Gillette, G-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -L -L -E -T -T -E. And if you go to timgillette.com, takes you right to a website that tells you everything about me. I am on all the social networks. You can either find me, find me by Tim Gillette or uh, some of them. There's still the, the catchphrase out there, Rocker Life Coach. Um, I also have a, a radio stage, radio show as well, like you said, and, and it's, it's timgilletteradio.com. takes you there. And, uh, hey, if you want to email me and tell me you've gotten something great out of my story, by all means, email me, info at timgillette.com. Tim, you're absolutely wonderful. I'm loving it. When I'm back, we're going to play a game. Are you ready for a game? Oh, yeah, man. I love games. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. Well, as you know, you can take us with you wherever you go. We are on Stitcher. It is a mobile app, Stitcher. Meet our guests and access our resources on our series, The Business of Doing Business, by going to thejourney.riosports.com and uh, click on Business. I'm back on the air with Tim. Tim, you're ready mm. to play your game, right? Yeah, what game you got for me, man? <laughs> okay. Well, you have earned a 10-year trip to an island that you've never heard of. You have no clue what it's going to be like. You just heard that it's going to be fantastic for you. That's all you know. Once you get there, you, you know, everything will be very, very different than you've ever seen or known before. You're allowed to take four things with you. Those four things will come in types. I'll tell you the types of those things and you'll tell us what you'll take and why. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. It's Now, you will not be allowed to take your wife with you. <laughs> you'll be gone for 10 years. So... <laughs> What will you take to make sure that you keep that relationship wonderful and beautiful going in the, in the absence of those 10 years? Okay, this is a, there are kids listening, right? <laughs> yeah, but I, you could be honest, you could say the truth, whatever it is. Right? <laughs> Can I take the photos of my wife? <laughs> you don't, uh, come on. <laughs> they're, they're private photos, I'm just saying. I was expecting something more interesting than that. <laughs> you can take what you want. So what will you, what will you take? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'll be away from my wife for 10 years. So, yes, I'll probably be taking private photos of my <laughs> wife through 10 years. Um, uh, yeah, uh, and probably a lot of, uh, shall we say, uh, um, baby oil. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. However, you'll be... Uh, you <laughs> You were going to say something else? No, no. I'm trying not to laugh too hard on that one. That was good. Now, you're allowed to take a book with you. What book will you take and why? Um, one of the most impactful books that I've, I've read over the past couple of years, and it was called uh, The Game of Life and How to Play It. Florence uh, Scoble Shin, I believe is her name. I know it's Shin's her last name, but she has a middle name that she uses. Uh, it was written in the 1930s, mm -hmm. and uh, it is a, I call it a life book. Mm -hmm. And she talks about, she was a, what she called a metaphysician back then. It's kind of like our modern day, um, uh, what we would call the people who are into like, not like me combination between meditation and uh, the NLP uh, philosophies of, you know what I mean, self-healing and self um, but it's all about getting keeping your mind, and I read that book probably two to three times a year, over and over. Mm -hmm. So that would be the book I would take because it would keep my mind strong during a ten-year period of time. Good. Now you're allowed to have one meal um, that you'll take to you, and as soon as you get there, you'll be allowed to eat it, and you'll never get a chance to eat it until you return. Uh, what meal would you take, and why? Uh, you know, my wife and I have grown very fond of sushi. Oh. 
So, and, and we actually had this thing for the longest time where we'd go into this one sushi restaurant and they had this huge boat that they used to pull down just for us. Not just for us, but I'm sure every time they walked us watch in, the owner of the restaurant would pull that boat down knowing that's what we were going to order. So <laughs> I, I'm going to have to say it's that huge boat of sushi. sushi. Okay. Sashimi. Uh, yeah, that, that's a, a thing that I, I, uh, But my wife and I have a deal. We only can eat it out. So, I mean, I'll be away from her for 10 years. Right. So, I mean, yeah. We, yeah. Okay. And you're allowed to take with you one luxury item. What luxury item would you take? Um, you know, I still actually like the idea of taking, uh, you know, taking some sort of computer to write with. Hmm. You know, I love my laptop and the fact that that's where I do all my writing is typing into a laptop. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that I would have a lot of time to actually do some writing. I would probably want that there to write. Well, Tim, I wish you a wonderful continuation of your life, whether you go on a great island with or without your wife. <laughs> <laughs> I shan't tell her what you will take with you. But <laughs> she knows what I take. Come on. <laughs> but it was fantastic. I'm so glad. Please let uh, Mr. Klein know that I'm glad that... Uh, he sent your name my way, and I'm glad that you agreed to come on our show, The Journey. Yes, it's been a wonderful journey. I appreciate the time, and uh, I, I like what you're doing to impact our world and make it a better place. I appreciate it, man. And same for you. Thank you so much. The Journey is available free on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Rio Sports Radio, and several of your favorite internet platforms. Download, embed, and share via any of the social media you love. It is indeed wonderful having guests who have been down in the trenches or are in the trenches sharing value. And don't forget, you might want to check out my book, The Rat and the Alley Cat. Yes, The Rat and the Alley Cat by Neville D'Angelo. It's for everyone and certainly for entrepreneurs. The Rat and the alley cat. See you next week.